everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk Footnotes. I'm one of your hosts, Damien Abraham, and your other host, as always, is my friend and your friend too, Chris O. Tool. Chris, how you doing, buddy? <laughs> Good. What an intro. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, man, I, I, I got that ring announcing under my belt a couple weeks ago. Out there, that wrestling thing. So I'm, I'm bringing my pipes in, you know. Nice. Um, I was in the studio today, actually, so my voice is a little, a little hoarse afterwards. Nice. So, yeah, working on. You're still recording the, the new record, or is this something no, else? Working on some uh, B sides and working on some other songs and stuff, and yeah, like, you know, but we're uh, we're like you know quietly working away. We got nice. things, things, th- things are coming together. Um, cool. that's not what this podcast is about. It's not about that. It's about what you did this weekend, Chris. Did you have a good week? What did I, uh, I haven't really done anything. I can't you think went to of a show. I think I saw it on your, your, your Instagram story, your secret Instagram story that of course is, I don't under- have that, but if I did, uh, I'm trying to think what I've done. No, I didn't go to You're a show. you like some um, band's records. No, yeah, I was just helping uh, assemble a band's records. That's oh. correct. But I did not, it wasn't at a show. No, Do you want to give that yeah, a plug, a, that record a plug? Yeah, sure. It's, um, what is it? I'm just trying to find the link for it here. The band is called D-Boy. They are a, a pretty incredible uh, rock and roll warship band, if you will. Uh, and they have a band camp proveyourlove.bandcamp.com if you want to check out their music. All right. And the LP can be purchased on there, and I highly recommend it. Awesome. Yeah, that's but a, yeah, that's what I was doing. It wasn't a show. They did play, though, on uh, Friday. I was supposed to go, and I wasn't able to go. But yeah, they did play uh, in your fine city on, on Friday, but I, I missed it. Okay. Which will be a relevant Friday, as in uh, what was the date? The 9th, but I wasn't able to go. Okay. Anyway. Okay. Well, um, I'm having a vasectomy tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> nice. It'll be in the past now. Um, so yeah. uh, that's what I'm planning on doing next week. And yeah. uh, last week, I'm trying to think what I did too. I don't think I did. Didn't, I didn't do too too much. Oh, I recorded a couple podcasts. I got some good ones. Got some nice. good ones. But I'll talk to you about them off air. <laughs> no reason cool. to talk. I don't, I don't like confused. Like it's not like I'm like keeping these secrets or anything like that. More that I just like. You know, like why why bother people with stuff that's not coming till a few weeks? Yeah, of course. Yeah, and you don't want to spoil it. You wanna you wanna keep it anticipated. Yeah, I yeah. got gotcha. you. Yeah, there's like uh, you know, next week it, it's a it's a killer one. Peter Perrette from the Only Ones. Are you an Only Ones fan, Chris? I no. Well, I don't. I, I'm. In, I don't know. I'm. I'm a blank you know, slate when it comes. You know to the only uh, another girl, another planet, right? I think so. I, I've heard you talk about it, but I don't. It doesn't. I, I'm going to just say no because it doesn't ring a bell. But you got to. No. I think you would know it once you hear it because it's like one of those, you know, top ten power pop songs of all time, type yeah. vibe. Like it's it got ra- it got radio airplay a little bit. It was never a huge, huge, huge hit, but it was like definitely an indie hit in England, uh, especially I think. Um, but fantastic yeah, band, like one of the best. Oh my God! And he, their later records are incredible, and he did some incredible solo work as well. But some pretty good stories, pretty killer Lou Reed story on there. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah, not necessarily. We well, actually, weirdly enough, we like when you think of all the guests you've had. I mean, I guess age plays a part in some of that, but th- there hasn't been a lot of Lou Reed tales. On yeah, the show. this I'm is kind of like, surprised. This is like the guy who, like, his story is fascinating, and we'll like obviously go into it next week. But he started in '71 playing in a band called England's Glory, <laughs> that okay is like velvet's worship like they've got to be like one of the first velvet worship bands so much so that nick kent was fooled into believing that he heard an unreleased velvet underground acetate when he heard when he heard (laughs) acetate wow so it's it's a uh yeah it's a cool episode and and definitely someone who was in it like they were you know in it they were kind of over it by the time punk hit like that's the thing that's fascinating about his episode is he talks about you know being older than all the punk guys and not really getting along with them yeah well it makes still sense being for a certain age okay yeah 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 i don't know this i'm looking at it now like no 78 i don't know this record that's oh cool God. as hell though guess what buddy you have just found an unopened christmas present <laughs> well there we go Crack either that way that, that makes Makes the the uh, interview even more anticipated, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's really and then also then go to the second record because the second record, a lot of people get that first record's incredible and obviously that song is like essential, but the second record is like I think where he starts showing like oh this guy's going to be, you know, in it for the long haul. I would say like up there with, for me like the great all time British lyricists like. Like, yeah, I would put him up there with, like, anyone else as far as, like, English songwriters go. Like, Morrissey. Well, that's high like, praise because there's like, some good ones. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, not necessarily upstanding human beings in all cases, but, you know, <laughs> like, there's definitely some incredible songwriters that have come into that uh, country, and, and he is, I would say, a measure. Like, you're, you, you're a big fan of that Libertines band, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They had that whole tanglement. Like, that guy, Pete, from that band like try to pull him back from the brink when he was addicted to, cause he, he fell into drugs and stuff. There's no secret on that one. Uh, obviously being yeah, yeah. punk, we don't go into it, but, uh, that dude like hooked up with him and wrote a bunch of songs with him and like, okay, cool. yeah, like he's it definitely like, you know, I think he's an influence on them huge. So yeah, it makes sense. Anyway, Chris, you got your, uh, you got your uh, suggestion. Yep. I got my homework. I'm going to check out D-Boy. You're going to check out The Only Ones. <laughs> we'll, we'll come back next week. And... Well, I, I don't know why. I think it's because I confused the name of the band with uh, some kind of like 2000-era group that is not anything like this. And no. so I didn't understand what you said at first, but yeah, I get it now. Well, that's why I kind of wanted to talk about it off the top because I think like this one might be one of those ones that kind of goes under people's radar. Because it's like, yeah. you know, not necessarily a name that jumps out to all people at once. Though there's like, you know, certainly some people have hit me up really excited about this already. But but like, yeah, like if you're not a familiar person with this band's catalog, dive in and then get ready for like a killer episode. Like, dude, you had the guy from Jesus and Mary Chain helping him hook up the Skype <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, he was over at this house trying to come this guy. <laughs> that's funny. It was amazing. That's like the, the best, like humble brag. That's like meaningless in a way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. Like I was like, he's like, do you know the? Best? You didn't think Jesus. to be like, hey, I'm, 
Yeah. After I talk to you, can you uh, put him on and we'll chat with yeah. him too? For That's what I was bit? like. I was like, yo, just let him know. Like, anytime he wants to come do the pod, I'm around. Um, but anyway, he I has just a tour love the idea too. Sorry. Go on, go on. No, I was going to no, say no, he no. had a tour scheduled but he, and it got canceled because he can't get across the border because of past charges. Well, that's what that life brings you sometimes. Yeah, like it's definitely uh, uh, a tale, but it's also a tale of a guy who overcame, you know, like he's, you know, still obviously battles with it, but like it's uh, it's something that he's passed now and like been sober for a long time and able to kind of like, you know, put out this new record. You got a new record on Domino and it's, it's, it's good. You know, there's, you know, it's, it's amazing how these people that can write these songs, they can always write good lyrics. Huh, I just looking this up too, and speaking to what you mentioned about Libertines earlier, mentions that the Baby Shambles, which were one of the Libertine offshoot groups when they were like slightly broken up or whatever, uh, they covered the song by that. Yeah, yeah, like which, which I didn't realize. Cool, big influence on on that dude. Um, yeah, yeah, fantastic. It's it's a it's a fun one. Fantastic band to dive into, and England's Glory. And next week, I'm going to be debuting uh, a Spotify playlist. For every episode, nice. Um, and it's probably, I, I that's think cool. We're gonna start it on Spotify because I have a free account still, <laughs> or trial membership or something still. So <laughs> I'm gonna go on there and make it, and, and you know I'm gonna put together a bunch of songs, and I'm gonna try and do them for every episode from now on. Um, maybe I'll go back. I think that's and do a wise one. idea. Well, doing one for this episode would be incredible because this is like definitely. Oh yeah, there's so much shit to go into. You could do a whole playlist just of his bands, yeah. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. And, like, just the stuff that's mentioned uh, in the first 20 minutes of this episode, even. All hardcore (laughs) tape. Um, But he, uh, but John Reese is the episode that we will be discussing today. But, Chris, we've got serious, serious stuff to get to before we get to today's episode. (laughs) And that is news. Do we have any, in today's world... We had something, we did this last week, and we had something when we got off, like, finished doing this, I was like, oh, there was something big, and I forgot, and I've forgotten again. Yeah. Um, Craig Mack passed away. It was like, Craig Mack did pass away, and that does suck. Flavor New Year was incredible. Well, that also, that song, which, obviously, the title is not the coolest, but Get Retarded on, uh, that was uh, on the sound bombing. Uh, no, it wasn't on the sound bombing. It was on uh, Ego Trip, Rapless. And it's like his oh, first okay, record yeah. from 88. And it's, yeah. it's a, a pretty incredible song from back then even. You're right. But yeah, he did pass. That was probably the big one today. There was another... Oh, what it was was a uh, random uh, aside. Not really punk per se. Mind you, not that Craig Max in the punk world. But um, was the dude from Sam's died last week. Was Sam, Sam the record man? man. Yeah. I think Sam. it was Sam. What is it? It's no, sorry. Is it Sam? What's the one? Not Sam's. It's uh, Tower. The Tower dude died. Oh, oh, in England. No, uh, Russ Solomon, founder of Tower Records, died at ninety-two. This oh. was on the fifth, so I guess it's a couple. Yeah, last week. Oh, Tower. Last Monday. A, Tower was a great place to get zines for a long time. 
Yeah, that was the big one. I remember, like, because that there's actually a great documentary, which I cannot remember the title of it. Should look it up right now. Um, but anyway, that was the one that happened. I remember that we missed. Not, not like hugely in punk. It's called All Things Must Pass: The Rise and Fall of Tower Records. Highly recommended. Most people probably seen it. But anyway, the dude in it, of course, and the founder died last week at 92. I think the last tower left must be that one in Tokyo. I think the ones in Japan still exist. Yeah. Yeah. If the the documentary seems to mention. Yeah. Yeah. I went to one. It was like, you know, a little disappointing. I'm not going to lie. Well, in 2018 or whatever, I can imagine. Yeah. Like it's a different story now, but I mean, I, I never, we don't, I don't have one near me, so I didn't visit the, the one in your city much either, but, um, excuse me. It was always something that I was aware of, but, um, Anyway, I just thought it was an interesting, like, bizarre coincidence that that happened to happen last week. Yeah, like... And we didn't, we didn't get that mention one. it. No. So, rest in peace uh, to uh, anyone that passed, obviously. But, um, uh, but yeah, that's it. <laughs> Let's move on, I think. Yeah. We don't handle this new segment very well. Uh, I'm sure there's much better news places to get. Well, we should get better on the news thing. I'm going to start researching news. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much time to prep for the pre-show, so that's difficult for me. But it's just stuff that comes up after usually that I notice. But, um, yeah, so that's it for that. What do you want to get to next? Uh, let's open this mailbag. All right, we got a bunch. So first one here is from John B., and the subject is guns and do's. And it just starts with, no, 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 guns and roses, ugh. And then he continues. They weren't doing anything new or groundbreaking. Motley Crue's Too Fast for Love is heavier and better, and a better record, in my opinion, than Appetite came out six years earlier. Not to mention Hanoi Rocks and the whole new wave of British heavy metal thing, plus the fact that one in a million planted the seed of hate in a generation of future Trump supporters. Fuck that band, he writes. Next paragraph. As far as Husker Du or Husker Du, however you want to pronounce it, um, one of my favorite punk records I bought was Metal Circus. Dug it a lot, and then I bought Land Speed shortly after. When Candy Apple Grey came out, I was excited to see something I was into on MTV. Of course, sonically, it was light years from the records that he was accustomed to, but he still liked it. The problem was that they were the first that they were the first band that came from the hardcore scene to be on a major. Punk, rot's, punk rock hates success, so any step in that direction is treasonous. At least... It was to my 15-year-old MRR reading self. As a grown-up, I understand things like bills and mortgage payments, etc. So I get the move from a label that was notorious for not paying bands to something more stable. Currently, Candy Apple Grey is my favorite Husker Du record. And anyways, still still loves footnotes despite our questionable tastes. Damien, your response, Mike. Well, I think one in a million is indefensible. Like that's like, well, of course, yeah. You know, there's we like, talk, we say that, yeah. Like that is like one of the things that you just can't get really past. You know, with with that band, sometimes like you you just have to like, you know, if you're going to talk about Guns N' Roses, you kind of have to acknowledge that. You know, is that's the indefensible one, and it's like, yeah, like, you know, and there's and I've heard all the arguments about like the lyrics being, you know, from different perspectives and not necessarily uh, Axel's perspective, but it's still at the same time. It's like, it's a fucked up song. And so, yeah, that that's acknowledged. But Appetite for Destruction was 
the best record out of that scene, right? One a million yeah, is not I'd on that record. Pressed. No, agreed. Yeah, it's not as discussed last week. Yep. Yeah, and it's it is the best record out of that scene, right? Like I just like and I I hear people talk about Motley Crue, but like this is like a harder record than Motley Crue ever put out. Well, here's the thing, too, right? So in specific to, to address this email, I think the email is great, by the way. I love that when people have, like, yeah, very we, strong opinions about this stuff. Definitely. That's what I, we want to do. We want to argue. Yeah. We appreciate it. I, I do. I happen to disagree in this instance. Specifically, you know, Motley Crue's Too Fast for Love is a great record. Do not get me wrong. It is really great, uh, as is Show the Devil. However, uh, in my opinion, I do think Appetite is a stronger record than both of them stand alone. And regardless of years before or after or what have you, I still think Appetite's better than than those early crew records, pound for pound. But, again, it's not to give them any credence. They're great. As far as the new wave of British heavy metal, I don't don't think that's what we were trying to bring up in in talks about GNR in this instance. I think we were discussing the idea that Appetite was a sea change that was perhaps one of the low-key, you know, like early nirvana warnings or whatever that ended the the hair metal thing or whatever there's another message we have in relation to this so we don't need to go in too long on this one because the one's a little more detailed coming up but um but as far as comparing the gnr to new wave british heavy metal like hanoi rocks i don't know well one gnr you know again i'm going to double down like gnr way better than hanoi rocks period and i love Um, i love briard like that's like one of my favorite bands ever and i don't even know that's how you pronounce it properly but like (laughs) <laughs> I like Fuck the Army is like one of the greatest songs of all time. So yeah. I got love for Hanoi Rocks. But like, yeah, like that Guns N' Roses record. Well, and like, I'm, we're not comparing, like, I'm not comparing Iron Maiden here either. Like, that's not what we were talking about. Like, I think Iron Maiden's incredible if we're talking about New Age British Heavy Metal. But it, just, it to me, it was a bit of a different, I, I think different, that's a yeah. different argument. I think yeah. we're discussing the idea of like, one, I don't think Iron Maiden had any hand in grunge ending. Let's, let's put that forth. Yeah. So, uh, that's kind of where we're coming from. It's not to say they aren't great and they didn't put great good records, hair metal but ending. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, not grunge ending. Pardon yeah. me. Exactly. So the idea that that's parsed in the Michael Ian Black episode is you saying that perhaps uh, he was on to something with the idea that Jane's Addiction, Nothing Shocking, and uh, Appetite by GNR were low key. You know, also. Uh, played a part in that whole scene kind of ending because these were records that you know summoned a change that wasn't happening up until that point yeah and like and I, don't so, think, yeah. I don't think we're breaking any new ground also with this guns and roses nope. ending hair metal like this is a fairly established argument that people yeah. i think what made michael's thing kind of cool was the fact that we were kind of discussing both these records as twin forces emerging from los angeles and i had never thought of the jane's addiction record as being part of that ending hair metal thing yeah. but it kind of is when you think about it so yeah, yeah. I, I think it's well said yeah but regardless um i just wanted to parse the idea of that that motley crew record whatever a great record again love early motley crew especially but um as far as the husker duke content of this email uh i don't have any comment to make on this other than i like candy apple gray who we said last week it's my favorite record by them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um again as a kind of a non husker du fan if that makes any sense so I don't know if my opinion's worth less than someone who's like a deep head on on the do, if you will. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I like, great I like email. Everything by them, and uh, I don't I think Candy Apple Gray is amazing because you kind of get to hear them 
in the studio just like it's like that's when it becomes apparent that like oh we're not dealing with like a great hardcore band here we're dealing with like a rare sorry i dropped my phone but uh don't worry <laughs> so I, I have my notes in my head anyway um we're dealing with like a rare combination of like some of the greatest songwriters ever you know like yeah oh yeah like those like there's just like the greatest songs coming out of that group and like you get to hear that polished up and you know taken out of the hardcore context a little bit which is amazing like you know with other bands not so much but with that band fuck yeah agreed um but yeah, you and me agree on you know certain things. We, uh, we'll get to <laughs> we're, in, we're in the same corner on this. Well, one. I think we yeah, got yeah. a couple of emails coming up that we're going to disagree on. <laughs> Maybe okay. We got to go to the next one anyway. Thanks for writing, John. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Appreciate um, that. What else do we got here? The next one here is a Damien favorite. We're going to jump into the subject, which is ICP slash punk rock connections. Whoop, whoop. It says well as. <laughs> uh, while listening to a recent Footnotes episode, I heard Damien mentioning trying to find a connection between ICP and the punk world. I may or may not uh, have some helpful info on this, but it is interesting nonetheless. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio in the mid-90s. ICP was very popular around here before they blew up, mostly because Toledo's proximity to Detroit. It wasn't out of the ordinary to see some kids that were at a hardcore show at an ICP show as well. Now, the legend is that Shaggy 2-Dope, of course, of ICP, mm-hmm. was in a punk rock band before he was in ICP. What? Um, there's, a, there's a skit on the Great Malenko album that features one of the members, I can't remember which one, playing a worker at a suicide hotline who tries to talk a caller into doing the deed. Uh, there's a punk rock song playing in the background that is supposedly Shaggy, do- Shaggy 2-Dope's dopes, pardon me, old band. I have not been able to, I have not been able, unfortunately, to find any proof of this anywhere on the internet or the resource. However, the legend was recounted many times from many different people I knew growing up. I also found this article. The article is titled, As a Juggalo, Do Any ICP Persons or Jugs Endorse Punk Rock? Which is somewhat interesting. There's a link to this as well. And then uh, it just mentions that he enjoys the podcast, but there's some food for thought. There you go, Damien. I love Have that. It. Thank you for that. Thank you. That is amazing. I like. We we gotta get Kevin Gill on the show. Like we've been, he and I have been kind of, you know, things have been gotten gotten hectic on my end, so I've kind of fucked it up. But Kevin Gill will be the one that can put all this stuff to rest because he is, you know, of course, from striving for togetherness records, you know, reissued the upfront record, Chris. <laughs> put out the New York hardcore documentary yeah. soundtrack album, Chris. Put out District okay. 9 7-inch, Chris. Like, legit shit. And then also is kind of like one of the voices of the Juggalos. Or definitely of ICP. <laughs> okay. So, like, that's, you know, he will be able to hopefully put all this to rest. But that's amazing news about this punk band. That's, like, brings us one step closer to uh, complete and utter unity. Like one day I, think I want when to see you say... the, I want to see the Juggalo <laughs> Hatchet Man moshing side by side with the Circle Jerks skanking dude <laughs> moshing yeah. side by side with the Operation Ivy skanking guy. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, uh, I just like to say when you say us, I don't know who you're referring to. But you mean, Chris? You mean you're, you're those two? You're <laughs> yeah. London. You're going to hell yeah. with me. We're all together. Yeah, yeah we're, we're all, all together, as Chunklet says. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, anyway, good email, Steve. Thank you, Steve. Uh, I don't know if we said who it was. Steve B. Thank you for writing. Very appreciate um, that. Very appreciate that. Yes. That doesn't make sense. Very much appreciate that, Chris. So if Steve. anyone does know, that is kind of interesting, though, the idea that perhaps he wasn't a punk band pre-ICP. That is, that is uh, I'm curious about that. Dude, that so if anyone like, has any... That would link wrestling, Instant Clown Posse, <laughs> and punk all into, like, you know, man, that would be amazing. That And, like, also, like, that would is, you know, part of the unilarity, uh, the, sorry, the, uni, the uh, universal singularity theory of Turn Out of Punk, uh, that, you know... <laughs> Everything cool is connected back to punk. So Homies, which we've established on the show, <laughs> oh the coolest song of all time, is connected <laughs> to rock. Well, as for always, I'm going to disagree with you on that. But yes, uh, that, by your theory, sure. <laughs> whatever whatever math you need to create that scenario, sure. <laughs> I wonder if Homies ever but, came uh, out as a 7-inch. Well, that's a great uh, question. I don't know. <laughs> I'm guessing no, <laughs> but, that, but uh, I've got I've got I've got two ICP. I was organizing my uh, rap 45s the other day, and I have yeah. two Insane Clown Posse 45s. Wow, that's yeah. actually impressive. I just assumed that all this stuff was not vinyl released originally, but who knows? No, they did a. I well, I picked up one when we were on tour, and it's a picture disc of one of their songs. But I think they have a bunch of vinyl records actually. It would, yeah. It's hard to say because I know they definitely have a third man collab one. Yeah, which I have, I that's the other forty-five happened. I have. Which uh, ah, there you go. I have Jeff did you get that? When at the eight? When at the HQ? Did you get it when no, you guys played there? No, when we went on tour with Jeff the Brotherhood, they had it on tour because they're the backing band. Oh, nice. Yeah, so they were they were like, yeah, we got these, and I'm like, I will take one, please. <laughs> and now I have two of Cloud Posse records, apparently. Well, there you go. Nice. Um, but well, that is the email for there. We got another one to go on here. You ready? Yeah, you ready on, for this move one? Move on. I'm still. I'm on my personal quest right now. But you move on to the next email. Okay. The next email subject Japan yes. from Dan Smith, and it says to get the formalities out of the way. He's a fan of the podcast and your bands, Damien. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and he would like to thank you for doing a good job. Uh, but he writes because he's looking for guidance as he's going to Japan in the near future. And he'd like to check out some cool punk slash hardcore record stores, shows, etc. And he's having a hell of a time finding decent, decent information online. He knows that you've spent time. What are your tips, Dave? Ooh. It's hard. Like, I was never, I'm never dialed in as I should be when I go to Japan. Like, there's some people that go over there and they're dialed in in advance. Uh, I've normally just kind of like been there for work. I've never really planned a trip. So my thing is I just go to the <laughs> disc union, which is like saying like, I just go eat at McDonald's. Um, but disc union is fucking sick. I got uh, typhus flexi there last time. Um, and they have show flyers for everything all over the halls. And they will give you a bag full of flyers. And you will, in digging through that bag no doubt find uh, a bevy of incredible shows to go to. Like, it's incredible when you're in Japan for an extended period how many of these sort of, like, bucket list Japanese hardcore bands, you know, for people like, you know, 
well, Chris and I, I think I'm speaking for both of us, like the burning spirit stuff that you'd like want yeah. to see it like one time in your life. There, all those bands play. It's nuts. Like the Swankies, like we're playing. Like, like I could have seen if I hadn't been there for wrestling. Like if I had just been there to kind of like see concerts, I could have seen everything. Yeah. Well, you you even ended up catching some pretty crazy stuff just being there. Yeah. In a short time. Yeah. No, I lucked out. I definitely lucked out, and I'm like, no, that's my favorite trip I've ever been on in my life. Like it was so fucking awesome. But uh, yeah, so I strongly recommend just going to the Disc Union in Tokyo. Um, there are like bass records, there's um, Nat records, uh, but um, if you're there for a Disc Union sale, like I lucked out and was there for, like a Japanese hardcore Disc Union sale, you will get every any record you could. You will not be able to spend. You, you will not have enough money to get all the records that they want. <laughs> no one has yeah. enough money. It was nuts. It was so fucking awesome. Um, but yeah, that's my terrible tip as far as from an insider perspective. <laughs> for someone that spent like over a month there this summer, you'd think I'd be a little more dialed in, but you know, I was splitting my time between wrestling and music. Yeah. I got Fair some good enough. wrestling tips, you know, go see as much wrestling as you can. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's another great tip. <laughs> yes. Um, apparently homies, I don't think is a seven inch though, Chris. Oh, wow. My heart is broken. I gotta, I gotta get on these, uh, Maybe it is. Maybe I'm just not going deep enough into this discography yet. Um, but anyway, okay. yeah, do we have any more emails? Homies yeah, so is Japan, a seven inch. Well, no, a twelve inch. Okay, go on. Well, neither <laughs> way. Okay, so <laughs> that, now that we're past that email, thanks for writing in again, and we have another one which is takes to task over Guns and Roses. Big surprise. So was listening to the GNR discussion, definitely food for thought. Not sure I agree with the album along with Jane's Addiction being the killing of glam rock, but either way, when you look at the albums that came out in the following few years, some glam of he- or slash hair metal's biggest selling albums happened. Appetite came out in 87, and I remember the effect it had on culture once Sweet Child O' Mine hit the charts the following year. It was pretty epic, but I feel that Appetite just made... Uh, the current popular hair metal bands lift their game big time to try to compete. And he lists uh, five records here, which he uh, is saying basically in the following years came out. The Skid Row, self-titled, Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood, Poison, Open Up, and Flesh and Blood, I guess, 88 and 90, two Poison records. Uh, bon Jovi, Bad Medicine, Warrant, Cherry Pie. And he writes, I don't know that the death of hair metal was just due to its time running out and the major labels looking for something else to force down people's throats, few bands survived the hair metal era financially because they moved with the times. Notables are Bon Jovi with Keeping the Faith, GNR's Use Your Illusion albums. Uh, I feel Nevermind had a bigger impact on the direction of music than Appetite, though. Nevermind seemed... Uh, to have made it okay to scream on the radio and have dirty guitars, because prior to that it seemed like everything was nice and polished. It's like Nevermind opened the floodgates for punk to come charging through in 94 with the explosion of Green Day, followed closely by Offspring, etc. Uh, it'd be awesome if you could get someone who was there on the show, especially from Geffen, as both Appetite and Nevermind were released through them. 
would make for a good chat. And uh, yeah, it says, side note, do you feel Mother Love Bone were a bridge between hair metal and grunge? Definitely sounds at great records. And uh, yeah, it says Death to False Metal and thanks us for the show, etc. Damien, All right. what are your thoughts? Um, I guess like, uh, I think, you know, have you heard Welcome to the Jungle? There's that scream on that. You know, I think that made it <laughs> acceptable scream on rock radio. Uh, before Nirvana did. And, like, you know, I can't believe I'm taking this position, but I'm only taking this position because I think the history bears this out. But, like, I think Appetite for Destruction, like, like that that record's still having reverberations. And I think, yeah, Nevermind is still having reverberations on music, but I think, like, Appetite just changed, like, music. And I'm not even that big of a fucking fan. I don't even own this record on vinyl. You know? Like, it's, like, it's not that big a deal. But at the same time, like, I think, yeah, I just think the impact of this record was immense. And I think, yeah, Nirvana is huge and Nirvana is, you know, unbelievably important. But I don't know, like this Appetite for Destruction was like a much bigger record than I think people are giving it credit for some of these emails. And also, like, all the records you mentioned, I think, were these bands like they're having commercial success. But like it was also that was the end. Right. Like that was it was over, you know, like it was big in the suburbs by that point, but it was kind of like the commercial peak and the, and the artistic end. Yeah, I, I agree. This person actually went on to send another addendum to the email, by the way. Okay. Uh, which he, which he corrects cause he put bad medicine as the Bon Jovi title, but it's actually the records called New Jersey. Shout out to David up, uh, when referring to Bon Jovi, uh, he mentions, but yeah, uh, and bon Jovi hair stuck metal? In his head. Would you like even put them in that? Like, I, do, the... I don't know. For me, it's like uh, Bon Jovi to me are in that category with uh, like Van Halen or something. Not quite that whole thing. Um, They're almost like the candle. But anyway, he writes, grunge, you uh, know, like the band that you're like, yeah, I guess they were. <laughs> but, you know, like it, it's just like they were just like kind of, you know, like more like the Stone Temple Pilots. Like the Stone Temple Pilots to grunge, like the band that was just like clearly trying to trying to cash in on the sound, but like was like way too poppy. Yeah, for... I get what you mean. Like, yeah, yeah, anyway. yeah. There's a, another addendum here, which is you there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's another addendum which he writes, which I think is funny because it relates to the email that was just written as well. Um, he mentions to me, he says when he was in Tokyo back in 2011, he'd seen that live. Uh, Live like an Uzi suicide record everywhere for 2,000 yen, around $23. He didn't grab it because he was an idiot and thought he had it all in lies. And he says, yeah, big mistake. I wanted to shout that out as someone who's failed massively in Japan getting records before. So I feel your pain. And uh, I do wish I had that record still. Um, Okay. So I agree with you, Damien, on this as well, weirdly enough. Um, I'm going to go through record by record of these records. Skid Row, Motley Crue, Poison, Bon Jovi, Warrant. Skid Row, uh, maybe two songs, terrible record. Uh, Motley Crue, Dr. Feelgood, uh, pretty awful record, maybe two songs. Poison, Open Up, and Flesh and Blood, zero songs, both records, terrible band. Bon Jovi, New Jersey, uh, definitely owned it on cassette, regrettable, zero songs. Warrant, Cherry Pie, zero songs. So, yeah, Appetite crushes all of them put together. And uh, that's my take on it, dude. That was just like hit 'em up, the Tupac song. Well, dude, I'm, I'm like, not trying to. Get no, but that was just like that was honestly like me being like Tupac. Like I'm not even gonna, 
you know, I'm going to let my, my homies holler at you. And then it was just like you got on there and you were just like, okay, here, I'm just going to like just totally decimate your argument with facts. Well, it's not – I'm not saying it to try – I like that – like again, I, I very much appreciate people who disagree and I like that people write in with these things. I think this email is actually really good. No, absolutely. But, uh, I'm, I'm on those specific around. records – Oh, no, no, I, I get it, yeah, yeah. But these records, I don't, yeah, I didn't like when they came out. Like Motley Crue, I'll give credence to, but, you know, that's not a great record. Those Poison ones, never. Bon Jovi, again, I owned it when it came out for some reason on cassette, and uh, it's awful. And Warrant, I mean, there's no words for that one. But, um, <clears throat> and, uh, although, back to the, he writes with that, that point, which I think is kind of interesting, the mother love bone, the bridge between hair metal and grunge, Dame. I think it, I don't know how big like how big do you think they were? Were they big enough to be the bridge between those two? Because like grunge kind of like if you get into it with like the U Men and and the Melvins and all that kind of stuff, it was kind of happening at the same time as yeah hair metal and like even like Bleach is coming out at the same time. Uh, like you know, I guess did it come out a year after Appetite? Appetite's 87, Which, and then Bleach Bleach, bleach or Mother Love Bone? Which one? Okay. Bleach. Well, let's check here. Well, Nirvana, Bleach, on the resource. Here we go. <clears throat> let's see. It came out, I think this came out in 89, if I remember. Uh, 89, yes. Okay. So I was two correct. Years. Two, two years after Guns N' Roses? Two years apart. I think what I mean, I, I think the spirit of what he's writing here is, sonically speaking, Mother Love Bone, were they one of those bands that perhaps is a bridge in that respect. I, I kind of agree with this actually, but I also would give like a group like, like Soundgarden or something like that, the same kind of, uh, nod because I, I don't, I don't know if I'd say hair metal though. See, that's the problem. The problem with this is saying hair metal, which I don't think those groups were hair metal like groups, but I think sonically they were more akin to like a metal thing rather than a punk thing. If that makes any sense or whatever, like, like hard rock, something like that. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Like they're, you know, and they had a lot of hair. Perhaps they had a lot of hair. So that made me lump them in there. You know, there were a lot of like, there's a lot of like (laughs) metal connections in that scene. Yeah, but either way, great email. I like that they outlined albums. I do appreciate that. I don't happen to like any of these, but I think that's a, it's a, you know, it's a solid submission. I very much appreciate this email. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, and then we got one more if you want to get to this, which is uh, related to a past guest okay. and friend okay. of both of ours. Okay. We in? All We're right. in. We're in. Call, call, <laughs> the subject is Callahan lyrics. And it's a uh, so, writes in name. Oh, sorry, that person, by the way, who wrote the last email is Damo. Damo L. I hope I'm pronouncing that Thank right. Thank you, Damo. Um, so, yeah, thanks for writing. Um, this, this writer here, though, Callahan lyrics, Jeff. From North Carol, sorry, Northern California. I'm currently geeking out on personal project of collecting all or as many as possible Chris Callahan lyrics. I can I can put into a pamphlet for myself to enjoy. And my buddy mentioned I should contact you, and I felt why not? This, of course, was sent to Damien personally. By the way, I hope you don't mind us reading it. Um, it just relates to our friend, and he can address this. It, was sent to the, it wasn't loud. to me personally. It was sent to the podcast email address. Like it was not. Well, sorry, it's <laughs> addressing you personally. Sorry, that's what I mean. No, no, that's not. I'm not like yeah. I'm not. It's not like secret. Um, I look at uh, Chris's favorite singer songwriter. He writes, and his lyrics speak to him. He mentions. Um, 
he has a psychological look at what is fucked up around us, but at the same time a sense of empowerment and motivation that there is something that can be done about what we hate. Anyway, he recently thought to himself he wants to be able to read through written lyrics <clears throat> excuse me, from start to finish to really appreciate his message that he's become so fond of, and he started to try and compile them uh, from Cursed and so on. And I have to admit, I'm a latecomer to his work. Sect is awesome. I just started... Sorry, I just saw them at Gilman in Berkeley, pardon me. But I have heard him mention that his bands were never as popular when they were active as they were in later years. And I am a part of that trend. I didn't listen to Cursed until maybe 2010, but since have uh, they have been by far my favorite band. Um, he got into hardcore when the same buddy showed him all bets off in high school, and they just had their last show. It's talking about being a latecomer. Don't worry about being a latecomer. To me, that's irrelevant. Yeah. No, You're all good. No, um, exactly. We don't pass judgment on the show and that no. kind of stuff. That's silly. Um, but at the point of the email, he just wants to know basically what are the ones to collect, like groups perhaps he doesn't know of Chris's, which, you know, he has Curse, Sect, Burning Love, The Swarm, Left for Dead, Ruination. He has not been able to find lyrics for Mature Situations or Countdown to Oblivion. And uh, what are any others? Um, any recommendation? had a CD reissued by A39, right? Yeah, well, let's look on the resource. I'm not sure. I only have that uh, the 7-inch. Let's see if I can find. I don't know. It sounds like that could be the, could be something. Uh, I don't recall it, though. Canada to Oblivion also is like the Rosetta Stone for Toronto punk music. Like... <laughs> If you break down who was in this band over all the time, like you can connect pretty much any band to this band. I even sang uh, in this band for one show. You are correct, by the way. There is a discog that was put out by a th- a sorry a the now defunct a three eight nine in twenty twelve. Yeah, so you can twelve inch. I'm sure there will be some uh, lyrics for that. I would imagine available. I think Dom is also clearing out some stuff. And if my experience with Count Oblivion is uh, is anything to be trusted, uh, there are probably some copies of that still with Dom. Yes, and so in the but you mentioned another one. Uh, there's also Basket Case, which he doesn't mention. Does he mention Basket Case? He doesn't, but you had mentioned, so I wanted you to shout that out. Yeah, Basket Case is the other one. The Basket Case has a demo called Closing In, and uh, there are lyrics in here uh, that are like very difficult to follow. Very 90s style layout where the font size keeps changing. Um, <laughs> um, but the, he also really does not want these lyrics uh, <laughs> out there. <laughs> I there's not like terrible yeah, lyrics in this, but there's some lyrics that I'm sure he's just like, "Oh God, I wrote that when I was 17. Please don't put that out there." Um, <laughs> but happy hunting, because uh, you can find all this stuff on on uh, eBay and stuff. Do you well, have that demo? Isn't uh, the basket case? No, okay. I don't have that one. Um, what is the? Because he has a book out too, doesn't he? He has. Yes, there is a book. Which, if you don't know, uh, is called Negative Space, which, as I looked up with a very quick search on the internet, uh, Deathwish is selling it. 
uh, in their store. It's $15. It's from something called Permanent Sleep, which I believe is a local book uh, publisher in yeah. Toronto. Is it not, Dame? Yeah, no, that's, that's and that, isn't that a Finner's thing? I, th- I think. I'm not positive. Okay. But uh, anyway, yeah, so they released it and they have it online. So that also is a good uh, point of starting because uh, it's uh, – I've heard segments that was written uh, – read, pardon me, from this. If it's not this, he read – oh, no, it does have word in this case, so there are bits too. It's basically a tour-like book. It's, it's stuff he wrote on tour and, and images and stuff too, so it's kind of cool. Um, so I recommend that. And Chris is a, a lovely human being and a friend of the show and a friend of ours. So yeah, good yeah, luck. One of, I would say like, you know, one of the few people that, you know, like I, I stand behind 100% like that I, as a hero, that has become a friend, you know, like just like he is awesome. Like a real positive person in yeah both our lives, both Chris and I's life. Yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah definitely worthy a worthy project and believe me i am the original call fan and <laughs> i'm telling a fellow call fan because that's what you are if you're working on a a fanzine of the collected lyrics of chris callahan you are a call fan um once again this is coming from a call fan um it is a uh, a proud tradition in punk to be a call fan <laughs> yes for sure a lot of i think oh, it's uh it's lasted a couple of eras too, which I find most impressive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's definitely uh, the uh, yeah. It's been been around a while. The, my first vocal credit was on is singing on a Swarm record. Yeah, and I don't know if um, I mean I'm sure if you have all the Ruination records too. Just as a sidebar, if you're trying to collect lyrics, I know that I think the discography CD has all the lyrics in that yeah. too. Yeah. So the best bet in a lot of these cases would be to find those discogs. CDs of whatever project that's probably a great start and then if none if you're not finding any others then I don't know what to tell you but um, yeah anyway did he have um, uh, what's it called written down there um, Burning Love yeah you're Burning Love right yes yeah yeah and those records are you can get Burning Love records fairly easily I would yeah. I would think still so yeah get those a great speaking of a record that we talk about almost weekly on this show a great homage to uh the greatest well yeah i'm just going to say the greatest poison idea record even though i don't entirely believe that but uh one of their covers is a great homage of course to feel the darkness mm-hmm. but with a modern take well done uh particularly if you're into toronto <laughs> municipal politics which i guess went around the world for a minute <laughs> yes but uh anyway uh, we did uh, it yes. with Tiny Enjoy. Tim first, just saying. That's true. No, you're right. I'm just joking. <laughs> of course. <laughs> just fucking around. Uh, yeah. Uh, there's uh, there's some really... Uh, man, Chris Collins got an extensive discography. <laughs> yes. Well, I guess he wrote, he wrote you, Ron Thing to Say with... Uh, or maybe he just got an arrangement. Oh, no, he's heard uh, Threats Worship with... Uh, Lullaby Orchestra. Really? Yeah, that's what it huh. says here. I mean, yeah, but there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. If you look, I mean, you can find it. And of course, um, you can write him, I'm sure, somehow via one of these contacts of the bands, and who knows, they might get back to you. Yeah, he's a busy guy, so don't don't think he's ignoring you. He's just a busy guy, yeah, very busy. Probably won't come back with those basket lyrics, though. Don't hold your breath. <laughs> True. Uh, <laughs> 
And that's it for mailbag. That's it for mailbag. All right, let's dive that's into today's episode. All right. What do you got? What do you want to begin? I think we do what we do every week now, which is just <clears throat> use the Dave's emails as our jumping off point. <laughs> I don't know if I have those queued up. Let me just see here. Uh, uh, what do we have? Yeah, right. No, the only ones I queued up, well, Quincy Punk's Jackson 5. What's he saying here? I don't know. You you start. What point? What point do you want to go out here? Um, all right. Well, if we're just going to go off the episode uh, of the... What, actually, this was, there's a lot to go into on this fucking one. Uh, first of all, yeah. th- this is one of my favorite ones. I know I say this a lot, but this episode was like <laughs> so deep, the stuff we were able to kind of go into. Um, I guess like Rock from the Crypt to me have always been the coolest band, and... Uh, like he's always been by extension like one of the coolest people to me as as like you know a fan looking up on stage yeah. so like to get him on the phone and find out that he was into all this stuff and it was you know a fun time a fun conversation so once again shout out thank you to Tristan my brother for doing this getting this one organized because woo yeah it was it was a thrill um i think <laughs> i think to dive in uh Rock from the Crypt as a record collector band. Uh, we kind of touch on it a little <laughs> bit, but like they are the ultimate record collector band, I would say. Them and the Melvins. Yeah. Well, okay. First of all, the, my the one thing, one point I wanted to just touch on. I don't know why, even in recent times, I never thought about the connection, but I never uh, thought of them as like like lifting that name from rocket and the tombs or whatever rock from the, what is that band called rocket from the tombs rock from rocket the tombs. and the tombs no rock from the tombs oh it is from yeah. from the tombs yeah it's literally the, a word different yeah yep so i always screw that but i never i had never thought of that association weirdly enough until this this interview um but uh, i think that, that was more astounding to me that that's essentially where he had gotten it from yeah uh, which yeah, i couldn't believe but um yeah rocket Definitely a crazy record collector band, really, if you think about it. A lot of singles, which is usually the defining <laughs> pain-in-the-ass record collector kind of band situation, mm-hmm. as you know all too well, Dame. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's funny. Like, I don't have – I'm not a big rocket. Like, I don't own any of these records, but I have definitely remember them over the years. But um, the, the one that jumps out at me, I think it's Circa Now, I think it's called. Mm-hmm. what's the one what's the one with the cactus on the cover why am i missing that here Wait, what is that record cactus on the cover is it a I compilation it was one, might be but i thought it was one of those lps but maybe it's a single anyway i don't know the state of art is on fire there we go on sympathy for 95 okay. yeah which is just an EP. It's a 10-inch. <laughs> Weirdly enough, a 10-inch, one of our favorite topics yeah, on the show. The, one of the um, best formats. Yeah, so that's the one I'm sort of most familiar with at first. But yeah, it's funny that that's so 95. Makes me feel very old to think because that doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but it really is. Um, yeah, but um, another thing that jumped out at me when I was looking this up uh, recently when when listening to the interview was them doing the music machine that cover single five inch record no less speaking yeah. of record collector bands um 
But yeah, plays the Music Machine, and it's got the same cover as the Music Machine LP or whatever, uh, or single, I guess. But uh, yeah, great band. I think this band, in hindsight, ages pretty amazingly, too, because at the time, a lot of what they were doing was completely lost on me, including when you were talking about your observation of seeing them at that Warp Tour, which I also saw them at. And they're, the people I knew that were into this band, because there wasn't like a big kind of garage scene where I was, where I am, where I was. Um, so this, again, it was lost on me. I didn't have people that were like into like crazy cool garage stuff talking about Rock from the Crypt and like hipping me up to it. Uh, the closest thing in that era I think I really got onto sort of by accident was New Bomb Turks. But um, I never put them in the, the same category for some reason. And even when I saw Rocket for the first time, they were very good. I will, I do vividly remember how good of a band they were. So I think that also is a great observation because they were excellent. Mm-hmm. But it just didn't hit me. It didn't hit me the way a band like this should. And now in hindsight, I think about things and I'm like, oh, yeah, these guys were like spot on with so much stuff they were doing. Even hearing them just like talk about it. Like the idea of them, like even that Music Machine cover single says it all. Like it's, they were, <laughs> they were way, you know, in a, in a sense ahead of a game. I'm sure maybe Dave Martin would push back on some of this stuff. A friend of the show, Dave, uh, one of our correspondents. But for me, when I think of it, like them pulling off the amount of these things that they pulled off in the years they did, even including the Japan thing, um, like, you know, being one of the earlier bands to go to Japan before other bands, which I think is kind of wild in hindsight. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of just ranting. What do you What do you got? No, I think they were like definitely the coolest band, right? Like that's the thing about this band is like they are by far the coolest of all the bands. Like they they just have that that quality where you're just like, damn, these guys are like they just wear it well, you know? Like and it was they're like the best live band. Like the records are also like it's crazy. Their first single is like a like this like insanely rare pusshead thing. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, that's their first seven yep. inch. It's like this, like, cool record, you know. Like, yep, oh, fuck, man. Like, it's like my first seven inch sucks. There's is like a, a like, this, like <laughs> your first seven inch does not suck. What are you talking well, about? Compared to this one, it does. Like, this is like such a badass, like, first record to have put out, you know, like, uh, for a seven inch. But they, they've like, yeah, no, I, I've just always have been like, even when I wasn't necessarily as much of a fan of, uh, you know, a record or something, it was, they were always just like a band that I think just carried it really well, like, and obviously huge fans of music, you know, and I think, for me, the coolest part of that interview was finding out the origins of, yeah, like, I knew that Rock from the Crypt and Rock from the Tomb were obviously, like, you know, had to be a reference to one another, but I think at the same time, like, how he came across that record, like, all that stuff had been a mystery to me, but, like, that was something I actively kind of wondered about. Yeah, but I didn't know. Like I only had heard of that like in the last within the last decade. Like I'd say even the last five years, I think that Rock from the Tombs band really came on my radar. But, um, but yeah, it's just wild. Like I never, I never thought of those two. Even even though the names are so similar, I don't know why I didn't think of that. Like, but yeah, it's kind of wild that they. And it's also wild that there was a, like a mini resurgence in the wake of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like, and I don't. I don't know. If, I don't know if they're responsible for it, like by accident, even or whatever. But I think it's kind of interesting. I never thought about that uh, connection before. Yeah, like it, I don't know. Like it's a weird thing because obviously, like you know, as as we kind of say in the interview, like the lineage of that band is undeniable. Uh, 
but at the same time, it's like they definitely kept that, you know, you know, I think, I think it was a cool tribute to, to that band. I agree. I, I think it's a neat, uh, a neat, I don't, I mean, I don't know if the original band feels the same, but to me, I, I think it's a great homage. It's rare that you see something like that able to happen too. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, like once again, it's like kind of a fitting band to kind of carry on that moniker in some way. True. Actually. Yeah. That's a great, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> yep. Um, but as far as record collecting band, yeah, very much the case. I agree. Yeah, no, as we've discussed, unending, unending. I have a, I have a, a pitiful rock from the crypt collection compared to a lot of people out there. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of, I had a lot of chances to get these LPs and, and originally, but just didn't for whatever bizarre reason. But uh, now, of Dude, course, regret it. I remember where I was when I bought a Scream Dracula Scream. Like I bought it at Penguin Music, and they had it used as a CD when it first came out like a review copy and, <laughs> yeah. and I bought it and I was just like, it's weird. Cause I don't remember buying a lot of records. Like, you know, I remember now buying vinyl, but I mean like back then, like different CDs. I'm like, I kind of remember picking that one up. I guess I remember a lot of them, but yeah. that one really stands out. Like getting that home, putting that on and just being like, Holy fuck, this is a band on a different level. Like this is grown up music. Well, and like for me, that, that record, that cover sticks out because I was working just shortly after this uh, when it was released. Basically, by the time that the, the whatever, the RFT, like the self-titled record from 98 came out, I was working in a record store. And I remember the like the huge amount of promo stuff that got sent, like that we had for that record for whatever bizarre reason, probably because it was on Interscope. Yeah. Um, but the the screen director of the screen was another one that still had like they had posters for it. So like this the imagery for this and you even included all the way up to like group sounds. All of those records are like burned in my like in my mind visually. Yeah. Um. And so like just it, it screams of an era. I mean, again, the earlier stuff is probably a bit more my thing personally but nonetheless like these records were still like when i think of these years that like they're some of the records i visually remember the most probably because of that store but um yeah i never definitely never bought scream when it came out heard it later and uh i like definitely remember that self-title from 98 being played a lot in the store but it's not something i was like was my jam outright but, uh, it's got to be an yeah. influence on like the helicopters, right? Like in in Turbo and all those bands. You think? Well, I would think. I mean, '98. Well, the thing is, like, they put out their first whatever thing in '90. You know, so yeah, I'm sure that people that were into like underground music or whatever you want to say. Well, like Turbo obviously was like, like yeah, like Turbo existed around the same time. But helicopters. When did that first helicopters record come out? Like '90 something, right? Yeah, it was around the same era. I don't know. I'd have to. I can check the resource right now. But um, the point being, yeah, same era for sure. Um, I'm trying to think here. I'll look it up. That helicopter's first record. It sounds like you have a a, flame, a flamethrower. By the way, I got going a flamethrower. I flame <laughs> on. As I say, I'm getting a dab flamed up for you, Chris. I'm going to send it over the microphone to you. <laughs> so breathe deep. My nice. Friend. Can't wait. These are the ninety-six. Days. Breathe deep. The uh, the first helicopters, which I forgot, has the hilarious title, "Super Shitty to the Max." Yeah. 
released in 96 on White Jazz Records. That's such a, that's such a killer uh, record. Yeah, it is a great record, actually. Um, but yeah, so 96. So yeah, it was in the in the same era. They were not as early, but yeah, same era. So yeah, I guess it would have been like, I would imagine Rock and the Crypt would have been like an influence because like that was the only band. Oh, you brought up New Bomb Turks, and there were obviously garage bands, but I mean like that was doing it like that, that was like doing the bringing them back rock and roll thing. Well, I think their point. association made them very interesting to people that had their ear to the ground. Yeah. You know, via all the labels that sort of get mentioned in the interview, but certainly, of course, Sympathy, and there's a connection to Turbo there, and I would imagine the helicopters. I'm not sure if they released something on Sympathy, but I would guess they did. Um, I'll look right now, see if I can find anything. But uh, I'm amazed I can't seem to see anything <laughs> right now. I but like did. the monster, there's... A, there's some shared things. <laughs> they were on, like, Get Back in America, I think. Yeah. Weirdly enough, I don't see any sympathy records. That's crazy. Um, nonetheless, uh, I think that, yeah, like, I'm sure people were into this band and were whatever. We're creating things in their uh, whatever. that We're influenced by them in yeah. some regard. Yeah. Um, but they were definitely like at that warp tour it was it was nuts like that was a warp tour where deftones played and like yeah, you know, yeah. Like a lot of bands that went on to become very important well, and, and rock of in the crypt if i remember played pretty late like, i feel like they played i think it was right after like, no almost right near after pennywise yeah it was like they were like a main <coughs> bill which was insane again they weren't and i knew hugely well at that time but um yeah, which is it's just kind of nuts. Even thinking on it now, them actually playing that that whatever as a headliner almost or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of wild. Yeah, like it's it's definitely it was an odd fit. I think in retrospect, like you know, especially what John said. But uh, oh no, maybe he didn't say that on air. I think he was talking about off air. That was. Was <laughs> I was like, I don't remember that. The goal. He was like, yeah, it was kind of like an interesting fit because like at the time, everyone was like, there's a specific sound, you know, and they weren't part of that sound. Yeah, that's true. But they are fucking amazing. Oh my yeah, god, very cool. Amazing. Um, <coughs> uh, but yeah, let's um, next and and point you want to get to, or is that all right? There was a bunch of interesting stuff, so I'm just trying to see what probably the most. Uh, well, let's just shout out <laughs> David up, uh, loving the total fast music tag. Uh, he mentioned it to you and I. Tear it up uh, is totally and fast I music. <laughs> yeah, that would apply. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I love the Sons of Ishmael mention. I thought that was huge. Dude, that when he did that, um, I my face like I was so fucking happy. Well, I can tell. Like those are the moments you live for, oh, and you can hear are. it in the interview. <laughs> like hearing that, like that's so cool. Like to know that that record like had somehow an impact on Rock from the Crypt. You know, like, of all the records that stood out to him, for him to mention. Oh, by the way, I figured out the other Canadian record that we couldn't remember. <laughs> what it's was the, it? Uh, it's the You're Fractricide Split. Yeah, it's the Fractricide Split that oh, only came out as a yes. test press and never came out as a real release. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, like, it just when he brought up that fucking Sons of Ishmael record, like, knowing that that record was, like, on his radar, it was just like, oh, damn, that's... The punk network is strong. That means that I now can connect 
Five Knuckle Chuckle to Rock from the Crypt through Sons of Ishmael kind of fandom. <laughs> I, I, that's a reach, but sure. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> like, uh, even Chris Black, the second drummer, he ran Ron Energy Records for a while and put out those Five Knuckle Chuckle records. So, <laughs> just... he didn't play on Hasty okay. Hardcore, though. He played on the second seven inch. Fair enough. <laughs> I know someone else who played on the second seven inch, or maybe not played on it, but was definitely in the band in that era. We both do, but yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. I, um, think, I think after that era, I think it was in the, like the LP era or the ten inch era. Well, either way, I thought I thought it was the seven inch, but maybe not the second they, seven. They had inch, like a crazy run, Sons of Ishmael. I guess this is, begs the question: like, have we ever done a deep dive on Sons of Ishmael? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I feel like we haven't, but I, I don't know. We, Maybe kind of got to do. Sure. Because uh, there's a, there's another dive I wanted to go into after this that I've already queued up. But oh, yeah. really? Okay. Well, would you want to come back? No, to no. This go one? on. We can do. No, no. This I don't think this will be that long. I think the Sons of Ishmael. It's pretty tidy. So yeah, let's go. You yeah. won't get too lost. I'm, I'm not worried about it. Okay. Because I can also. I'm going to get one thing. I got to reach for a tape. <laughs> Uh, all right i think i got i think i got my sons of ishmael go on uh no yeah no this is but you do know someone in this band dara was in this band yes exactly i'm pretty sure he's on the second seven inch i could be wrong though uh it doesn't say the lineup at least that i can see yeah no no this thing generic crap no, he's not on. Uh, well, he's not listed, but yeah. he played in, I believe, around this time. But yeah, I think he played great, on great like to... after that because they, that's the thing is they've been on. They went on for you know eighty five to ninety, which is like kind of a long run for a for like a well in those years. Yeah, yeah in those I, years. I um, and but, actually had records out, <laughs> which yeah. is also rare. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, they had definitely. You know, they had seven inches, they had they were on comps and you know, they had a never had mind. A it's it's confirmed, by the way. It's confirmed on the resource. Ninety to ninety two he played in the lineup. Go on. Okay. Okay. So he played, yeah, after the second seven inch, I guess. Just after that. Yeah. Um so yep. anyway, there's the uh they but they started as like uh I think it's like angry thalidomide babies. Okay. Who had a coat hanger abortion is the name of their tape. Um, I think <laughs> okay. this is Tim. It's the same vocal. You have that tape? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, but a long time. I got it a long time ago from uh, someone. I'm trying to remember who I got it from, actually. Um, someone we know, though. Um, but it's a. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely like a, a cool, like early kind of example. This band was like on. They were kind of ahead of the curve. They were just fast. Like before, there was like a lot of other fast stuff. I kind of want this Sons of Quint. What's this? Democracy. Sons of Quincy thing. Sorry, I'm looking at their Discog resource right now under their uh, compilation appearances. <laughs> they got their shit out yeah, there, though. Of they, course. Were, like, so did get... they were kind of out there. They did. I mean, the fact that that 7 inch reached that far is wild. Like, I didn't, you know, I didn't know how who distributed that or whatever. It's kind of wild when you think about how that made it to. <laughs> people on the west coast and like i just assumed it was fairly regional like most stuff around here but i guess well, it's wrong well there and there were two pressings of it right like it came out originally there's the 500 with um the uh original sleeve 
And then I, okay, think, yeah. I think then they did another thousand with the uh, pumpkin sleeve, the scarecrow sleeve, I should say, which is on okay. multiple colors. I think there's like four or five colors available. Huh. Um, okay, yeah, I see what you mean with the actual, yeah, the scarecrow, not the pumpkin, yeah. The scarecrow pumpkin thing, sorry, yeah. So yeah. like a pumpkin head, right? No, it doesn't. I, th- I don't uh, know, it's hard really. to... No, it's just a scarecrow yeah. <laughs> with a banjo. Sorry, so it's got three <laughs> covers, I think, available. But there's also, it's funny, there's another version of um, the the original 7-inch, which is like a pocket sleeve. Yeah, I don't know which one. I have this. I can't remember if mine's a pocket or not. Uh, but uh, The pocket's like super hard to get. Wow, this is a big money record. It's not? No, yeah. Well... Let's see what's which ones they got here. No, it's not too bad. The second cover is more frequent. Like the first cover, yeah. whatever is more dear. But uh, yeah, you know, reasonable. Between seemingly forty to a hundred, depending on which version you want. Yeah, not too bad. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a great record. I would say that's undervalued for that record because that's like. I agree. Yeah. I would say that and the Nunfuckers are the two best hardcore records out of Ontario from that early period they're both great i don't know from ontario you, vinyl. you, you hedged I'm say vinyl. <laughs> negative gain maybe also in there but like you know yeah, like, yeah i know what you mean you discount youth 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 you discount uh, chronic submission because you're just saying vinyl records <laughs> i got you yes <laughs> either way sons of ishmael great group that seven inch is excellent Second seven is not quite as good, but it's still on it. Still worth keeping. <laughs> Tench is cool because it's a ten uh, was... Well, and even the one that Schizophrenic did in 2010, it's like, uh, whatever. It's the whole story. I believe it's all of the, at least the, oh no, it isn't the, what is this? It's not it's just the, the demo and the seven inch. It is Rishi the 85 EP with four extra tracks. Yep. Okay. Either way, very cool. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, there's also, they did a Die Hard edition that's pretty sick. Came with like some bonus stuff as well. Um, cool. But yeah, worth worth tracking down. Definitely the schizophrenic thing is worth picking up because those bonus tracks are sick. <laughs> uh, the 10 inch also originally came out as a tape. But, did it really? Yeah. But it's not on here, weirdly enough. Okay. No, there's not. Uh, there's a couple things missing from this Discogs page. Trust me, this has plagued me. I gotta, I gotta get my <laughs> editing game up on Discogs. Well, there you go. <laughs> nice, but yes, big shout out. I figure Sons of Ishmael is good to cover. Um, yeah. what else? Uh, oh yes, of course. So the next thing, unless you have something you want to no, get to go. pressingly before, go Cargo Records. Yes. Which somehow we've never spoken about, I don't think, the show. If we have, it's been very, very not much, at least. Yeah, I guess I don't know why we haven't talked about it, because it's it's like, I think it's because it's like such a weird thing to try and t- tackle. Because like, I don't even know how much I understand of it. You know, like it's, <laughs> it started in Canada, yes. but now it just exists in England. And Germany, in apparently. Germany. Yeah. Yeah. And it was based in Montreal, 
largely successful until 95, it says here. The company has established offices in the U.S., U.K., and Germany. After 95, the operations begun to falter. The Canadian office ultimately failed, filed for bankruptcy. Bankruptcy, pardon me, in 97. And it looks like the other two are still operating. It's funny um, how the first thing it... I wonder if it comes out of Psychic Industry Records. What are you talking about here? Which... Well, which uh, if, if, like, Cargo comes out of Psychic Industry Records. Because if you do, like, do the... Do the uh, on the resource, hit year and do the reverse order of year. So... It starts with like the earliest record. I have eighty five is the first one I'm pulling up, but what? Yeah, uh, eighty five is the Nils record, right? Yeah, yeah. And the catalog number it comes out on is PIR, which is Psychic yeah, yeah. Industry Records, which was a. Ah. So I wonder if Cargo. What did the Cargo? Maybe Cargo just distributed this. I'm trying to see where the Cargo credit comes from on this record. Because I'm wondering if PRI just evolved. It says into... manufactured, manufactured and distributed by is where it comes from. Okay, well, I wonder if like that's cargo just taking over PRI, or if it developed out of PRI. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it would seem like manufactured, distributed. It seems like it was probably maybe a sublabel or something. I don't know how else to. Because PRI it. starts before '85. Like PRI starts in '84. Uh, with Primitive Air Raid. That's their first record. Okay, well, maybe they, I don't know, maybe up to a point. See, this is, this actually, it's funny you, you said what you did, because I've felt the same way for a long while, um, which is kind of like you don't quite understand Cargo. Yeah. And kind of have it. And I feel the same way, because there's definitely records I remember, and I remember the logo vividly. Um, I think it, it had, like, there was, you know, that mid-90s period, especially mm-hmm. for me, around whatever early 90s to mid 90s was very you know it was very prevalent that cargo sort of looming specter in canada anyway um but it seems like maybe up to a point people signed on and did like distribution deals with them or something because that would be my my guess i mean based on this first two records the asexuals being the next one well six and the the seventh catalog release or whatever it says here I guess PRI must have, like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still obsessed with this PRI thing. Um, because I think it's it's really interesting where, like, this label forms out of, you know? Like, where these people existed beforehand. And the fact that it doesn't start, like, the first catalog they have is the Ray Kondo and the Hard Rock Goners album. And then they have another Which is it? And then they end... Yeah, they don't... Like, the numbers jump all around, right? But if you look by year, it seems like it, it just became official on that, right? So, uh, oh, no, you're right. They do both share 01. That might just be an entry error by somebody. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, of course, that you know, SNFU Better Than a Stick in the Eye is a record I vividly remember as a cargo record, specifically, um, which is a great record as well, by the way. Um, but, uh, yeah, which is so funny because I think that's their first jump off of BYO, right? Is this record, I uh-huh. believe, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. Before Epitaph. Which is wild to think. Yeah, it's nuts. When you think about that, even just that is bizarre in and of itself to me. It's funny but, to um, think Beyond was distributed by Cargo. 
I think a lot of stuff was. Like, I remember even looking back, that's why I thought this would be a good deep dive, because, like, even that No Means No Wrong EP, mm-hmm. or LP, pardon me, mm-hmm. um, Change of Heart, Beyond, I'm trying to think of the big ones I remember seeing. Well, as mentioned in the interview, all of Lawn. Yeah. Um, Shadow, Shadowy Men, of course. What else? There's a lot of stuff I don't know on here, though. Um, oh, well, like the Offspring, like the Nemesis records that they were distributing through Cargo at the time, I guess. Yeah, it's just weird. It's it's a very strange uh, phenomenon. Because that Olive One <laughs> record, that's not on Cargo. That's on um, Nemesis. On whatever, yeah, yeah. Which I guess somehow they yeah just distributed. See, that's the other thing I don't understand, and even this Discogs is hard to understand because it's like. It just puts them all under this umbrella, but they were kind of different labels that yeah. they just distributed or whatever. So, anyway, yeah. It's an impossible kind of, like, thing to... Because you never know which is actually on their record label and which is actually just distributed by them. Yeah. Um, and I think this must be incomplete. Like, there must be just, like, massive holes in this. The, the fact that this chorus of disapproval... I didn't realize that. Oh, it's on Nemesis. Okay, that's why. It's gonna yeah. Be like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, anyway, very and big time suspenders, that's an FU comp. That is straight up cargo, yeah. So those two records are on cargo. Such a weird label. It is like such a I don't know, like what they chose to distribute, like you know, Cannibal Corpse yep. Records and Shadowy Men on Shadowy Planet. <laughs> yep. A lot of quintessential Canadian from that era for sure, but also just a lot of bizarre like honeymoon killers, although that's not on their label either. It's like some weird distributed thing. Yeah, I always remember too this old school Seven Seconds, the Headhunter reissue. I remember it was one of the earlier ones I got with that the cargo thing on it, but it's a Headhunter album. But uh, it's such a cool looking record, which is just all like the early shit. Yeah, no, it is. It's a, there's some like there's some cool stuff on these this label. It's oh cool. yeah, for sure. But. uh and it's also it's just like amazing how many people like work there or I think Flanagan even worked there. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Like I really like uh, it's uh, you know like John Reese, Nick Flanagan. There's been some uh, people in through those doors. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, that was my point. Bring up cargo. Great right. logo. Great logo. Cool label. Maybe not in the end for everyone, but. <laughs> Certainly put out some cool <laughs> records. Uh, I guess, like, the other thing I wanted to talk about, the idea that San Diego was more violent than Los Angeles, which is a, was, like, you know, reputed for the violence. <laughs> yeah, that is a bizarre thing to think about. I don't, I mean, I don't know what to comment on that, but um, from his recollection, it is funny that they said they were going out of town to go to shows. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I don't no, know yeah, anything so. really about that, but, yeah. Um, and then, uh, I guess like, uh, God, there's a lot more that we could talk about. Um, we should talk about, oh, are you familiar with the band Fluff, Chris? Fluff? Yeah. Um, no. Not are you familiar with this guy, oh? No, yeah, yeah, no. Okay. Not at oh, all. This oh. was, I was like, I didn't go on explain this. Okay. O is he's uh, kind of like known by a lot of people. Otis is his uh, real name. Bartholomew uh, is his last name. Um, he is 
one of these people that I love to talk about on this show who's been in like a million places at once when it comes to music. Um, and okay. it's like his Discogs is kind of fucked up because it's like under a bunch of different names. But uh, okay. uh, let me try and get where, find which one you got to click. I think if you hit variations all. No, it's not under that. What's it under? Well, what you're saying he was in Fluff or wasn't he in All of Long? Isn't that Dude, how it gets mentioned? The, no, just go to his credits. Go to O and then go to his credits. There's 110 credits for him, right? Well, he was in All of Long. He was in well. All of Long, definitely. Yeah. But yeah. his first thing was he ran a label. Actually, before he even ran a label, he helped produce uh, the first Decry album. And okay. then he put out the first Decry 7-inch in 84. Um, he also put out the Half Skull compilation. He produced the Justice League 7-inch. He produced Blink-182's Cheshire Cat in, like, a bunch of <laughs> Blink-182 wow. records. Uh, he played in this band. Like, he was obviously very key to, you know, early uh, Pitchfork stuff as as john kind of alludes to in this episode he's still involved in music to this day but yeah he's got to come on the show i've talked to him about coming on the show before and it just hasn't happened yet but like this is someone who you know it's like this is what this show is made for and then he so he was in circle too. one yep yeah he was in fluff circle one all of one <laughs> yeah wow yeah i don't know um Again, now that I like, I know of all of Lon, of course, but yeah. I don't know the membership breakdown. It's funny; he's even listed on the Blink One Eight Two Greatest Hits production. Yeah, he's so got he a production Cheshire credit Cat. on that. He helped produce Cheshire Cat, and he produced like early stuff for them too. Uh, he even produced uh, a band in on Simply for the Record Industry in nineteen ninety two, Woofer. <laughs> oh no, he <laughs> was in this band. Sorry, he's in this band in nineteen ninety two. That's yeah, so what the the mention in the interview is that he is this big bridge between a lot of stuff is is where it comes up, correct? Yes. If I remember correctly. Dude, is this it's got a savage it's got savage pencil artwork on the 7-inch that he did for Sympathy for the Record Industry. 92. I can't seem to find the link that has all his credits. So I'm okay. looking at separate ones they all have. You, you got to click on ones. you got to click on O, like the number 2, O and O with the number 2 beside it. Okay, yeah, gotcha. And then, oh, credits, 110. Yeah, credits. I see that now. And then if you click on that, gotcha. you, go, you know, through his production stuff, his technical and his uh, visual stuff, like... Yeah, that's nuts. Okay, I see it now. I gotcha. It's, it's nuts. Yeah, it's there's a whole bunch. Yeah, it's like, and it's like all cool, weird stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like, it seems like... like... Most of it, what years does it end? It seems like mid-2000s. Is he still in a group now? Uh, I don't think he's playing uh, right now so much. He's he's still working in music, uh, definitely. And he does sound for Dinosaur Jr. sometimes. And, uh, yeah, like he's he has a cool. He has An a credit Instagram. on, speaking of SNFU. Definitely follows Instagram. It says visual. He's got a visual thing. It says for on something green and leafy. This way comes. He's a photographer, so maybe he took a photograph on that one too. Crazy. He's cool. like the musician's musician. That. Like all your favorite bands, he's like the dude, you know, type thing. Like, it's yeah, like, yeah. He also ran the label Standard Recordings, which uh, you have to look up this labels. Like he ran a bunch of labels. 
But dude, do a deep dive on this discography. Standard record recordings. I'm gonna. Uh, I'm just trying to get to it now. <laughs> Getting out of this other one. This but, is, yeah. This um, is your favorite label, Chris. <laughs> Standard recordings. Yeah. Why is it my favorite label? Because look at the first three releases or first four releases. Standard recordings. Okay, let's see here. San Diego, Fan of Surfers, Rock from the Crypt, Deadpool, Radio Wendy, 16. Yeah. 16. Cool. Like, how sick is that? I love fucking 16. I know you do. You love to bring it up, too. Phantom Surfers? <laughs> like, that's so sick. Yep. This Van Deadbolt's got, like, a, a crazy line, a lineup, too, right? I don't know them, but I'm curious if they... Uh... There was a uh, a skateboarding truck company in this year in this era that had a name called Deadbolt. I'm curious if they took that from that. I guess not. It says creepy band of surf rock, so probably not. Yeah, probably anyway. not. Uh, maybe they skated. At that point, you could be creepy and surf rock and skate. Uh, <laughs> I suppose, yeah. You know. Uh, he also put a Diesel Boy seven inch, apparently. Yeah, I mean, it's he put up, what does it have here? Three, six, nine, ten records, looks like. Thereabouts. Although it has credits up to 78, so maybe there's only ten on here? Yeah, I guess. Well, maybe. I think I think it's only, like, I think it's seven-inch one. Seven-inch, you know? Oh, could be. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, but yeah, Either way, very yeah. cool. I don't know to... to uh, it always amazes me when this sort of stuff comes to light in my world because I just, I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know as certainly not as much as you about a lot of this stuff, but this is, uh, you know, seeing people like this that are just so heavily steeped in this, it's just funny that this has never kind of come up before somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Even talking to you, actually, it's never come up weirdly enough. But, uh, yeah. I hung out with O in San Diego this summer and, uh, it's just like amazing when you get him talking. It's just like, dude, you have done everything. Like you have, you know, like you. It's, it's just like one of these people that's just like, oh shit, you've been like, yeah, like you, you, you saw that, of course. Like you would have seen that. Like, I don't know. You can just talk about a lot of different stuff in music that, you know, and because that's the thing is like a lot of people have their eras and then they're out, you know, and especially like, yeah, you know, like Michael Ian Black a couple weeks ago. You know, <clears throat> yeah. But then you get these people that are just like lifers and like people that saw like shit right in the beginning too. It's like, whoo, it's a good one. <laughs> cool. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right. What do you want? Is there anything else you want to get to here? Uh, we could go on forever, but like, uh, I think we should cap it. And, <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I we could get some sleep before they uh, snip my my thing. Oh yeah. Good luck. Thank you. What do you think about Nation of Ulysses and, and Rock from the Crypt happening at the same time and like kind of that thing? I do like that. It makes me wish I could take a time machine and go back and watch those bands. Um, really, uh, really a Nation person, as you know. Yeah. Uh, big, big fan. I think that's another group that I think is sort of... It's very weird because you could compare... Um, at least the sort of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, the creative uh, movers in those bands because they've never really stopped, mm -hmm. like John Reese and, and Ian or or whatever. Um, 
so they are very interesting because they transcend eras almost uh, in that you know they're prominently like known for by a lot of people for certain things in the 90s but they still continue um, I don't know nation I think the thing I think I admire most about those groups in hindsight is how especially in the nation if Ulysses case is how uh, clear a vision of a group they had both in like kind of like a manifesto but aesthetically and just it all being very, very on point. Uh, Rock from the Crypt, of course, a group I'm not as much into, but even in hindsight, looking back, it's just amazing to look at how you know on all this stuff is. Um, so it is weird. I think there's, you know, as much as people crap on the '90s a lot, including myself, um, there was some really great stuff going on, and this is one of them. And arguably, some of it obviously comes from the late '80s, really. But uh, in like when it started or whatever. But I'd say when it was hitting full steam, you're talking 90s. Mm-hmm. And I think these those two groups are big. I never thought I liked that comparison actually, and I liked that he brought it up and he had reverence for Nation of the East as well. But um, I would never thought to put those two together in my head up until the interview, and it's I think it's a good uh, it's a good comparison in a good way. Yeah, look, and I think that's like you know if you combine the two, that's that's international noise conspiracy. Like what they were kind of <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm kind of going for yes, it. and that's true. It's it's yeah, and I think that's you know it's something that became more apparent to people later, even including me. It was a little, I was a little late to that um, you know realization, but yeah, absolutely. It's like the, the groups like that, yeah, very much uh, lifted, <laughs> if not outright. <laughs> other things you want to say, but like lifted their vibe and or their sound i mean it always kind of happens it's the history of music but i think in this case it's a little more close to the bone for some of the people involved because it it was such a um i don't know it seems like the popularity of the groups after the fact were so much greater and it seems like it wasn't that long ago that people should have been able to spot it um but whatever i'm not trying to throw shade either like anyone can do whatever they want but yeah. yeah, for me, I I never thought of it that way until you until you put it together. But yeah, that's very true. Actually, those two groups do make <laughs> that group absolutely like sonically for sure, <laughs> no question. And I think we have to talk about before we go, Giesel, because yeah, that was great. That's crazy. <laughs> I think it's just funny. The best comment was when he mentions that people were saying to him how crazy it was, and they just said he brings guns to shows, I think was the comment. Yeah, he brought a gun to a show. These are the legends, right? Like, there's the gun to the show, there's that fucking flamethrower video, there's that saw, saw blade video. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's nuts how many, how many wild <laughs> like shows they have put on. But I also think it's kind of funny, though, that I mean, I'm not to say that any of these things aren't, you know, they, they obviously whatever they happened. <laughs> but the fact that he was able to, like, meet him or whatever at a show makes me think that, you know, the dude was around and he wasn't always insane. Maybe I'm yeah. wrong. No, but... definitely, definitely. There's like those stories about like people going up to him and getting their photo taken with him during that uh, festival this year. You know, that's I'm, true. I'm sure he was fine even until he wasn't. yeah (laughs) true but yeah it's it's a very uh, the last thing that i would have expected to come up on this interview is him having a having a story about skevy or even it's funny he didn't mention the Gigi one i thought there was going to be one based on your brother put up the image of him with Gigi 
on yeah. the Facebook or whatever. So I was expecting a Gigi story, which we didn't get this week, but I'm no. curious to hear. He's definitely got one. <laughs> He's got one, and, and I'm sure that'll yeah. come up next time. But I think uh, yeah, it's amazing Like when you kind of get into these situations that are so many places to go. It's just like, fuck, I, I feel almost overwhelmed um, at that point. But, uh, yeah, no, he, he'll be back for more. He, he, uh, nice. he seemed to enjoy it. Well, I thought it was good. I mean, yeah, I, I I hope so. He didn't get, I mean, he didn't get, like, super far either. So there's a lot more to talk about. A lot more to talk about. A lot more to talk about. That, how about that tour also being on tour with Long John, Long uh, John, <laughs> yep. and Pusshead in Japan? Like, the, yeah, well, you're the speaking shit my they would have bought, that dude. Is... The shit they would have bought. Yeah, that, I can't imagine those two hanging out, let alone having a trip with them <laughs> yeah but yeah the uh like the baggage required to bring stuff back home <laughs> oh my God, would have been yeah. interesting the amount of like toys <laughs> or whatever um but yeah you're I, I don't know i'm a i'm a great admirer of those i'm a great admirer of these characters in uh whatever in underground music so to speak underground culture so I'm always interested to hear stories like that, and I really hope that eventually you interview both of them, actually. Oh, but, yeah. uh One day. One day, yeah. I, and I think it'll be epic. But, um, again, though, s- still something really interesting. Like, it doesn't – I'm not surprised to hear about that story. But, again, it's one of those things where, you know, because he's kind of – when he's expressing they're going to – this is like in 92, I think he says, right? Or like 90 when they go to Japan? I think it's like 92. Yeah, it's like it's it's early enough. That's the other thing too. Like think, like even sympathy is certainly is got a good, you know, it started up, but it's not. It doesn't become the like the monolith that exists now. Yeah. When they go over, so it's just like the the. I don't know. It's just really. It's just that story is very interesting. I'd be curious to hear about stuff from that story, like stuff they scored, or maybe bands they met, or maybe bands he met and then put out later, or whatever. Both. Pusshead and him. It's also very funny too because I never, I don't think of Bleed Over when it comes to the bands each of them have put out over the years, which is bizarre when you think about it because they both existed in an era, just have kind of different tastes. Yeah. Shy of something like maybe Poison Idea to an extent, Poison I guess. Idea, I guess would be the only thing. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I guess Poison Idea is the only one. That's interesting to think about in Rocking the Crypt. Exactly. Or yeah, exactly that too. But just it's it's weird when you think about that. I never. Yeah. Anyway. Think about Poison Idea as that band that like is that bridge band as well, like in a bunch of other worlds. Always comes back on the show. Comes back. Always we're gonna back. we're gonna we. That's another night to tackle that. one. <laughs> yes, totally. <laughs> uh, but anything else you want to add, Chris? Um, I think we'd be remiss just quickly. At least we should mention Drive Like Jehu because for whatever reason we haven't talked about it. Yeah. But uh, personally, probably my uh, my preferred project of his personally, but um, and great band. But uh, yeah, just like I don't know, mentioning them, we didn't really talk a great deal about Drive Like Jehu. No, that's the thing. Is also he, he's got like a million bands we could talk about too, right? Like he's <laughs> very true, yeah. You know, like he's definitely someone who is like just like you know got that that ability to write music, but like also like it, almost like an auteur where like 
he, he, you can hear him, even though the bands are radically different sounding, you can always hear like that. He, he's behind the band. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think it's that that's very it becomes a lot more apparent for me in his later with his later groups but yeah I think even these two you can tell. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I just I just thought we should probably shout that out. Very true. Both those LPs are pretty insane. I don't own an original of that 7-inch sadly, but yeah. Great band. Uh nor do I, but uh I would uh, uh I would like an original of that 7-inch. It's a, a classic merge record. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, but that's it, I guess, for today's show. Any, um, how do they get in touch with us here, Chris? North, you can reach us at turnitapunkfootnotes at gmail.com. And you can find uh, me on various forms of social media at Left for Damien. And uh, I think that's it. Till next week, right, buddy? Yeah, for sure, man. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.